Hello and welcome to the Who's He podcast. In an occasional series, we're going to be talking about those people who've been lucky enough to travel with the Doctor over the last 50 or so years. Yes, the companions. Those people who have stepped through the doors of the TARDIS and been shown the wonders and the dangers of the universe and travelling through time and space. And of course, we'll be discussing the actors who have brought these iconic roles to life. My guest this week is a returning guest of the podcast and also a friend of the show. It's comedian Robbie Bonham. Welcome back, Robbie. Uh, thanks a million, Phil. Uh, good to be back. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. It's good to have you back again, mate. It's been a bloody long time, actually, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think the last time you were here, we were talking about the Peter Cushing films, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you have to excuse me for a minute. I have a bit of a cold, so... That's I okay. The, I said the sniffles, but uh, that's okay. I know you don't do a big sneeze down the microphone. I think no, we're okay, but, mate. It doesn't help that I'm leaning over my laptop as well. So <laughs> I, I'd have to try and keep myself more upright. But I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're the one, I'm a, you've only once got sole use of the, of the laptop, then I assume. Oh yeah, I've got yeah, my laptop. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to catch your germs or anything. So <laughs> no, no, I just catch them back off myself. Oh, fair enough. That's <laughs> So um, obviously we're, we're here to um, to talk about a companion of your of your choice and your favourite companion at that. Yes. But before we sort of get onto that, um, I can't remember before on well, the last time you appeared on the podcast where we actually talked about um, your sort of what's it like to be a comedian, really? What's it like sort of doing stand up? Um, but what the hell? We're going we're going to talk about it again anyway. So, no. <laughs> but um, so what, what I mean, what is the sort of like? I mean, particularly in Ireland, what's it like? you know, in the world of stand-up at the moment, is it, is it, uh... It was probably a lot better when I did the last podcast. Ah, oh, right, okay, so there's a bit of a juxtaposition <laughs> here, then. Yeah, things have gone quite downhill. I mean, obviously, Ireland's a little bit smaller than England, or yeah. Britain. Now, I'm saying that I have done many, many gigs in Britain and around the place, but I, I'm mainly confined to the Irish circuit, but uh, yeah. because the Irish circuit's smaller, we kind of, when the recession kicked in, when was that, about 2010 or so? Yeah. Uh, just things started to wind down. Less festivals were happening. Now I did notice some talking to English comedian friends that you just kind of went through the same thing maybe two years after us. Yeah, because we so, had sort of like the collapse of the like um, I don't know how big it was then, but it seemed a big deal to me. It was was the collapse of uh, the Jonglers. Um, oh yeah, yeah, they, yeah. yeah that was, and that that was all part of the recession. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, we had a miniature version of the same here because our our Irish version of Jonglers, if you like, is a, is a place called the Laughter Lounge. Mm. But they had four or five venues around the country and are now just to the one venue. Wow. And also a lot of people are doing more and more comedy because, because I suppose of the internet, you see a lot more people doing it. So you just say, all right, I can do this, you know. And, and uh, I mean, the other thing is because of things like Facebook, I mean, you can you can find a clip of any comedian or any idea as quick as you want. There's less of a there's less of a, a culture of people going out for live entertainment mm. because if you can't afford it, 
I remember saying this to somebody before, like 10 years ago, if you were trying to set yourself up as a, I suppose, a showbiz thing where people have to come into town and see it. Yeah. And they liked you. They'd come back and see you again or bring friends. And that's how it all worked. Whereas now, if you see somebody and they're really funny, you just add them to your Facebook friends. And, and the mystery has gone completely. Nobody will ever come back out for a second visit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We, we were just discussing sort of like social media before we start recording, didn't we? And it's sort of like, yeah. it, it does make everything very, very, as you say, everything is virtual now, even sort of, as you say, nobody, nobody's going out and, and sort of socialising. People are now socialising on Facebook. Yeah. You know? So it, it's, a, it's a weird, very weird situation. It really is. Um, but it, it's even like little things, like if uh, if you had an idea for a short sketch you wanted to make. Yeah. You'd have to find like-minded people, find somebody that can edit, someone that can film, and what have you. Whereas everybody can do that now. Yes. So their idea doesn't even have to be that good. They can just do it all themselves. Is this? Th- do you think? I mean, I mean, do you think this is to the detriment of the, of the comedy? Oh yeah, because, because you don't even necessarily have to have something particularly different to say. You just get an idea and do it, and and if you present it right. You know, it can be just as presentable as something that a lot of work has gone into. It's it's all about look. I mean, it, you often get people that want to create the perfect viral video, mm. but viral videos happen completely by accident. There's no planning behind. It's like say the Chewbacca woman. Yes, exactly. You yeah. know, when she sat in her car, she wasn't expecting things to get as wild as they did, and now there are cartoons about her, and there's, and that's just pure luck, you know. But anybody can do it. Mm. Yeah. Um, like, even if you have put a lot of stuff into writing and producing something, if it still doesn't catch people's attention the same way a normal, you know, regular run of the mill person does it, you know, you, you, it doesn't get anywhere. And you, you can't plan around it. You can't do more of it to try and push it. Like, the internet's kind of leveled everybody to a certain degree. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it has. I mean, I suppose. I mean, a, a prime example is, is what we're doing now, podcasting. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's there for everybody to do. If you if you've got the you know the will to do it, you can do it. It's it's so easy to do now. Um, and okay, and as, as I think as we're also discussing um, before before we start recording, you know, the internet is, is swamped with a lot of crap, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just because everybody can do it, and, and yeah. to, to to sort of stand out amongst all that crap, you, you've got to do something really quiet. Quite special, really, haven't you? Yeah, so, quite different. It, it's it's. Uh... So I suppose it's. I mean, is is that the same with stand up? Because I mean, I've, I've heard of sort of open mic nights where people just yeah. get up and, and and try their luck, and usually end up sort of getting getting booed off or, or heckled or whatever. Oh um, God, we pray for an audience to boo us at this stage because yeah, <laughs> it's be no... that that bad, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah like like you can't you can't even have a bad gig anymore because oh my God, now an audience is just no gig. Yeah. Um. Like even I've noticed in the Irish circuit, I think it's the same in the English, where you would have you would have people that are new and starting out, and you know they would have their place. You'll have the middle of the road comedians that have been doing it for a few years and have their regular gigs, and then you have the TV people like the Michael McIntyres. Yeah, the kind of middle ground has now disappeared completely. Mm. People are either on TV and doing that, or else you've got the young guys just starting it and struggling. Anyone in the middle is now doing something completely different. It could be they're doing sketches, or they've got into writing for other people, or... or but there's no there's no kind of quality acts in the middle. 
if you know what I mean. Mm. No, yeah. it's, it's either you pay a fortune to see this guy doing the same thing, or you go to see somebody for nothing, but it's going to be dire. What's, what's, your, what's your take on the sort of the, the you know the big sort of stadium comedians? I mean, did you feel they that, that sort of loses? Do you, do you feel they sort of lose connection with the crowd playing to such a massive audience that you know? Um, but you see, there was always a build up to that. I mean, I've never understood how the the, the Michael McIntyres or the Peter Kays seem to come out of nowhere. Yeah. Whereas I could understand how the Dylan Morans and the Bill Bailey's built themselves up. Yeah, I mean, was it Bill, it, it, Bill Bailey was part of a double act? Was it Rubber Bishops, wasn't it? It was. He was part. I, of think, I think it was a musical act. It was, yeah. Started out, but then he found his own voice, and he found out I could do gigs on my own using like seventeen instruments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even that was a great gimmick. Like that, I remember when I first came across Bill Bailey, and and he was brilliant because he he, he was a nerd, but he was also. He also fit into the rock world and he was able to combine everything and he was brilliant on loads of things. Mm. But I mean, there are people that are brilliant on loads of things now, but they're reduced to just making their own stuff in their bedrooms and they don't stand out from anybody else that makes their own stuff in their bedrooms. And um, I don't know. I don't know that there's there's people who will celebrate like really thick people <laughs> doing stupid stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's like it's like I'm, I've, I was never a fan of Jackass, for instance. I was just about to say that I think Jackass has got a lot to answer for. To be well, honest, well, I was never a fan because I just I just don't like I don't like prank stuff or hidden camera stuff. I've just never been a fan. It's my own no, taste. But no. Jackass, they made their names back in probably early two thousand hmm. before there was an internet presence. If they had started Jackass now. It wouldn't be any different from 20 or 30 other people doing that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly what you mean. It, it's... I think it's all a question of timing or something like that. Um, yeah, I suppose, I mean, 2000, um, okay, yeah, the internet was about, but not to the extent it is now. There was no sort of social media. There was no YouTube, so you couldn't really share that kind of thing, could you? So it... I'll tell you what, I'd even liken it to, because I'm also a cartoonist, um, as you know, and uh, yeah. again, like 15, 10 years ago, you would put your heart into drawing a graphic novel for a year and, mm-hmm. thing, and it, would, it would get lauded to some degree, even amongst the community. Yeah. Whereas you could do that now and nobody's buying stuff on paper. So you just have to put everything online. But somebody will come up with a quick three panel cartoon that just gets attention. Like, uh, I mean, Cyanide and Happiness is a great strip. It's very funnily written. Are you aware of Cyanide? I'm happiness? not. No, no. It, it's just little three-panel strips, and they're 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 very clever. Kind of that they're more like conversations between people than actual jokes. Yeah. But they're very, they're they're the drawing standards is like just above stick men. Okay. Just because the joke itself is funny, like people lap it up, but you get people doing the same stuff that put errors into cross hatching, and you know getting shadowing right and all this kind of stuff and it's dismissed in the same way stick men would be dismissed yeah it's just who could never get the joke out quicker there's not necessarily a craft to it it's kind of the same with stand-up i suppose like even something like um say eight nine years ago uh there was a show on tv called the friday night project Oh yes, I do remember. And yeah, Alec Carr and the, the guy with the beard. <laughs> he was yeah. the name I can't remember now. 
But, like, I don't think anybody would have any interest in watching that now. Justin Lee Collins, that's who it yeah. was. Yeah, that's it's it. Because yeah. two comedians will just do that online now. Yeah. Yeah, and they the would only, do, wouldn't they? Yeah. The only real earnings from it is if you can attach ads to your YouTube channel. You know, and it's, uh, now it goes into PayPal accounts. But it's just there's just... Like, I don't know, it, it's, I fought for 13 years to get on television in Ireland, and it finally happened about four months ago. Oh, okay, okay. I got onto, onto our third main channel, which would be our equivalent of ITV, say. Yeah. And uh, I remember checking my web, I was on two Saturday nights in a row. Okay. And I checked my website after each episode went out, and I got four viewers, four readers, both <laughs> 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 Saturday nights. Because nobody sits down to watch TV going, oh, here's something on it. If they're interested in something, they'll just go online to watch it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they're always saying that, you know, people's viewing habits are changing. That it's people not, that do you know, see on television are just people that chance to cross you. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't, TV doesn't have the same power it did. No, it doesn't, unfortunately. You know, no. But what, what was it like doing TV compared to sort of working in a, in a, in a club? What, what was the difference, if any? Um... Well, there wasn't much difference for me because the TV thing I did was more or less a documentary about comedy. It wasn't. Ah, right. Okay. It wasn't that I, I created a studio where I was setting up stuff and all that mm. because looking at the reaction, I actually think that would be a hugely wasted effort. Mm. You know, I, I just think it's it's. I mean, I love the stuff that um, what's the guy that plays Keith Lemon? Oh, um, Lee Frost. Yeah, yeah. Because his stuff's just that little bit different in the same way in the same way Jonathan Ross was different 10 years ago <laughs> yeah yeah you know what I mean like the, there was something quirky about him and, and uh, that's very very rare though and the only thing you could hope for as a comedian is to get involved as a panellist on something like that I think it's very rare that yeah that does seem to be the route into something now, doesn't it? That's why I see at first see a lot of comedians that they would sort of like pop on, have I got news for you, or um, they sort of turn up on um, the, yeah. last, the last leg or something like that, you know. You go, oh, who was that guy on Have I Got News for no. Friday night? He was brilliant. Whereas it, it, you wouldn't even notice it now. No. You just go, oh, I'll, I'll wait and see if he turns up on something else 10 more times and then I might check him out. Like, you yeah, know? yeah, I know. It's, I mean, I must admit, I mean, that's the first time I saw Michael McIntyre. And, but, yeah. it, I mean, then it just immediately put me off him. I'm, yeah. I'm not a, a fan of his at all. I don't like that. I'm playing. Well, it's that, I mean, if you look at sort of like observational humour, I think to my mind, Billy Connolly is the master. Oh, yeah. That, and I mean, like, you know, I mean, and Billy Dave Con Allen, Dave Allen was another one as well. You know, he could, yeah, and you Spike know, Spike and and people like that. But the, I mean, yeah. they were back in a day where you'd go out to buy Billy and Albert because everybody was talking about it. Yeah, you know, you get at home and listen to it. Whereas now, people would just go, "Have you seen this Louis C. This Louis C. K. clip?" That's go, it. Oh, it's just yeah. it's just sound bites now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all people have got the attention span for. But. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but I was about to say that Michael McIntyre does the observational humour, but I find it very, very obvious of observational humour. There's not, there's nothing clever about it, and it, it, to me, well, it, well, that's it, another thing, and that's something I've noticed as a. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. That's you. all right. Yeah, it's something I've noticed as a comedian because before I started doing comedy, I would watch Paramount comedy and you'd see whatever any act on Paramount. Yeah, and you'd laugh and you go, ha ha ha, but like. When you're doing it yourself for 10 years, you can see through the confidence trick of most acts. Yeah. 
And I will watch Paramount Comedy now completely stone-faced. And I find there's maybe two or three acts on the planet that I actually find funny. And it's because they're going places yeah. I want to go, you know. And, and But they probably only cater to a specific group of people that think it a certain way. Yeah, I, so I find that um, with, with Stuart Lee, to be yeah. honest. I mean, he's a very, very good comedian. But I, yeah. I, I mean, fantastically clever how he, how he puts his act together. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's a little bit um, elitist, if you if you know what I mean. It, it, it's, yeah. There's a certain I, there's a certain crowd that likes Stuart Lee, and it's sort of yeah. like, well, you don't exactly. under, you don't yeah, understand yeah. him. Oh, you might, you know, it's sort of like you're somehow right. thick if you don't get it. You yeah, know? it's like when you see the audience on a TV show, you know they all know who he is. Like if you brought in five mates to see Stuart Lee on that TV show, they'd all be screaming, "We are bored." That's <laughs> 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 into it. It, yeah, that's right. I've seen Stuart Lee. I've gigged with him a couple of times, and I've seen him doing gigs with other really well-established comedians that are getting upset by him because all he does is deconstruct comedy. Yes, he does. And they can't yeah. go on after him. Yeah, I can. I can fully understand why. Actually, he's a very, very like, tough I, act I, to I, follow. You know, a lot of comedians, particularly Irish comedians, because we use Ryanair to fly between Ireland and England. I don't mm. know if you ever use Ryanair. Oh, I'm familiar with them. Yes. So there's a lot of jokes about Ryanair, but. I found I've flown with Ryanair a lot and I have never had a problem with them. Mm. So if I'm the first act on of an evening, I used to set up a joke that I was going to slag Ryanair and then I go, oh, no, no, they're actually quite a reasonable service. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) punctually, I I don't see what the problem is. But the act that's on after me has a series of Ryanair jokes he now has to lose. Yes. Because I've just dismissed what they're saying. And like Stuart Lee would be a good example of that with, you know, if he had a Michael McIntyre on after him, like, yeah, it, just, <laughs> it just wouldn't work. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. No, I so, so, yeah, I must admit, yeah, I mean, there, there is that. Um, it, it does make it difficult because I say, he just, as you say, he's so utterly clever. You know, there's there's and, a lot of thought gone into his act. There really is. It's... And also, I think as well, because everybody from every area of society is now on the internet together, essentially, you know, we're yeah. all friends with each other you're going to get splinter groups that prefer a smarter sense of humor to yeah. the majority of people that just want like you know memes yeah happy with memes but you know they're all splitting into groups and, and you know you're trying to put stuff online to cater to particular say i don't know if intelligence is the right word and you realize most people aren't going to get it like I, i'm a huge fan of chris morris yeah and um, I mean, I love day to day. I love jam. I love a lot of stuff he does. But you know that he only caters to the five percent of the public that get what he's doing. Yeah, because I, mean, I must. Have, I never. I never. Most people are most. You know, ninety five percent of people are going. Oh, I saw that. You know, day to day last night. It's not very funny, and it's just <laughs> you just. <laughs> you know, you're just not thinking. It, it's sophistication versus the size of the general populace, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, mean, I mean, I mean, I love Brass like Eye, but a lot of people couldn't, they just didn't understand what it was about. Um, sorry, 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 did you say? No, so Brass Eye. Brass Eye, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Brass Eye. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just didn't get what that was Although about actually, at all. You know, it's funny enough. Sci-fi is a good example. Yeah, I, I when I mean, since I was quite young, I kind of let it be known amongst my my school group that I was a science fiction fan. Yeah. People immediately just make as you're some sort of space cadet living in the clouds and you don't have any grounding on reality. 
Whereas we now we now know that like science fiction fans probably think about things a lot bigger. Yeah. Because science fiction introduces you to things like the existence of God and where humanity is going and what have you. Yeah. And it's actually the general people that are just into soap operas that will write letters to soap opera characters saying, you know that your wife is cheating on you? And you know, <laughs> they, they tend to be the people that are out of touch with reality. It, it's so funny. Like it's, Well, it's... yeah, my, my, my dad, um, he, he was at a bus stop and there was... Um... A family in EastEnders uh, that was a black family, but there was there was an old guy in it with uh, called Jules. I can't remember what the surname was, but he, his cat's first name was Jules. Right, and he he's he was quite distinct because he'd had like a white beard and um and he used to wear like a, a trilby and everything. And I suppose he, he didn't look that much different in real life, but right. he was sitting next to my dad at the bus stop. Okay, and my dad didn't sort of thought, yeah, I know because my dad doesn't watch soaps or and and it's a few years ago now when this family was in it, um and. This old woman just walked up to this this actor, and and just sort of started. Sort of, oh, it's terrible! It's terrible what, what your son's doing. You should take him into task over yeah. this. And he's going, yeah. and he just sort of played along with it. That's all. That's all he could do. Oh, it happened to a friend of mine just two weeks ago. A friend of mine, a comedian friend of mine, got a a, a role in we have an Irish soap opera called Fair City. Hmm which would be our equivalent of EastEnders. Funnily enough, the first episode of it was directed by Chris Clough. Right, yeah. But he was fresh off the McCoy years. Yeah, yeah. Because that's when Aerosol started. He came over to Ireland to do it. Anyway, no, I, I digress. <laughs> but at least I'm like <laughs> to Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, but he, but my friend Eric, he just got a role as like, you know, a scumbag criminal type on it. Mm. And he was walking around our local shopping centre a couple of weeks ago and somebody came up, are you your man off that TV show? And he says, yeah, that's me. Jay, you're an awful bollocks, do you know that? Like, <laughs> I didn't know what to say to it. Like, what can you do? But, but you don't you don't get that from science fiction fans as much. No, I mean there's that old joke about going up to Peter Davison and asking him for John Pertwee's autograph. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's that's kind of a a, a rarity. <laughs> yes, yeah, but yeah, it, it it does only seem to happen to soap actors that, because people just sort of seem to live and breathe their those people's lives, don't they? But you they see, the bigger the bigger size audience you have, the 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 more of them are going to be people that just barely, they know enough to live. Yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds awful. But that, yeah, they can't divorce fiction from reality, can they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, is a, it is a shame, but it, it must be bloody frustrating for the actors. I remember um, um, the actor Simon Cadell, you know, he's in Heidi High, he was like Jeffrey Fairbrother, in, in, if you remember, remember that. He played, um, before he, he did that, he was in, I can't wait the name of the bloody programmes, but he played an SS officer. Right. And his character was an utter bastard. Yeah. And and he played it brilliantly. He, yeah. he, he really did. Um, and he said he used to get people taking swing, like taking a swing at him. Because he was, he was there just, in, you know, he would be out shopping or something. and, then, yeah. and sort he, of like, he became a target for other people's frustrations. He did, yeah, but he's, he's, he's been attacked by old ladies in, in the supermarket. You know, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but he's, it, that's what happened to him. Yeah. You know, they just couldn't, but you know, it the fact it was a soap opera. He's playing um, an SS officer from the 1940s, for God's sake, so... Yeah, yeah. You know, some well, people were thinking it was real, you know, but... Sure, sure, even when they did that, they, they did that thing there uh, about five years ago, I think, the, the trial of Gary Glitter. Yes. I even wondered about the actor playing him. Yeah, you know, who, got, who was that who played, I can't remember who played like, him now. 
I don't think it was even anyone particularly known. Oh, I can't believe it was anyone. Oh, which anyway, would, yeah. Which would be easier to get away with then because yeah. nobody knows here. But <laughs> I mean, it would be like, it would be like, um, if people's first introduction to David Tennant was his character in Jessica Jones. Yeah. People would avoid him. Exactly. Street, yeah. You know? <laughs> Strength of that alone, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh god! But we, ne- but we never threw abuse at Michael Jason for being the Valyard. Do you no, know exactly. I mean? Exactly, we never did that, did we? It just yeah. seems to be reserved well, for maybe one or two people did. I've no idea. <laughs> but, no, but, just... but there's always that contingent. It's like the, It's like when um, Eccleston he got a couple of death threats, didn't he? When when he left Doctor Who prematurely in people's eyes. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Few people that went mental on outpost Gallifrey, and and but there were people that were probably barely hanging on to reality in the first place. And yeah, it, I it, it depends it, on how grounded people are, and just a lot of people aren't. Well, it does seem to sort of attract them like moths to a flame, really, doesn't it? it it's they, they sort of they've got I don't know some serious issues going on in their lives. I think is probably the best but way to about the internet in general. That there's probably like twenty, thirty percent of the population that are not grounded. Yeah. That's yeah. why I'm scared of driving. <laughs> because like <laughs> twenty or thirty percent of drivers are like a minute away from a road rage incident or, or... Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I must admit I have probably been part of that twenty or thirty percent myself when I've been on the road. Like... Right at the time, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well anyway, um I think now now we sort of like that dissected um Sort of, sort of society. society and tackle the world of comedy. I suppose we better talk about your your chosen companion. My chosen companion, chosen... and it, it was a a weird choice because uh, I know you've done a few with New Who companions. Yes, and it's almost easier to pick New Who companions because they tend to be more realistic, and that you see their home lives and you see how they react with people. Whereas in old Who. I'm not saying companions were two-dimensional, but you only ever saw them when you saw the Doctor. There was no, you know, you didn't know what Joe Grant's morning started like or or stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. And I was also trying to think, well, who's my favourite Doctor and who was their companion? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the same thing. Um, so what I've, I've chosen the Brigadier because, just because he covers a lot of Doctors. And it's almost the simplicity of the Brigadier that right. okay. makes him appealing. Yeah. Because he's very easy to know. Like, he, he's a, a British military type. And funnily enough, I actually come from a British military background. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> my, my uncle and my... My granddad was a professional captain in the British Army during World War Two. Right. Uh, captain Jack, believe it or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, So, but it's just, there's something about military people, particularly good-skinned military people, that are, are reassuring to have in the background. Yeah. Um. It's it's um. So he's always been this character that was unmovable. You know, the Rock of Gibraltar as. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's a, a good a good analogy of him, actually. Yeah. So sort of, he couldn't be shook, and he was a good foil for the Doctor. He was. Now, what what was your sort of first memory of the of the Brigadier? What sort of what story was it that sort of sort of switched you on to him as such? Um you see, I probably would have missed the Brigadier when he was on TV the originally. Mm. Because I wasn't really aware of Doctor Who until about nineteen eighty. Um so he was kind of gone from regular Who by then. But 
like I think I remember about 87, 88, Super Channel was this new free satellite channel that started up that we all got for nothing in Ireland. You could just, yeah. and, and they started showing Robot up to Deadly Assassin. Okay. On a permanent loop. Yeah. So you'd at least see the Tom Baker Brigadiers. But it was also around the same time that the, the BBC started releasing the videos. Mm. And I remember, like, remember one of the first videos I got was Spearhead from Space. Which is a great introduction to the Brigadier. Because I, I don't even think I'd been aware he'd been in a couple of Troughton stories. Yeah, because obviously he first got introduced in The Web of Fear. Um, where, I mean, have, have you, have you, I'll take it you've seen Web of Fear on the, on the yeah. recent DVD release. But, yeah, Web probably only in the last two years. Do you know yeah. that um, and Do you remember seeing The Invasion many years ago? Well, that's probably, The Invasion is probably more how the Brigadier... <laughs> That's the proper brigadier, if you know. The yeah, web, yeah, the web affair. Proper. You're not quite sure whose side he's on. He's a bit of a mystery. Yeah, yeah. Well, or Colonel F. Bridge Stewart, as, as he's as he's then known. But um, but by the invasion, the unit set up. He's got his mobile headquarters, and you know, and he's it's it's, they, it's they the brigadier. You know, yeah, they yeah. know what they're doing. They they know about invasions and kind of um. But yeah, but I mean, the first, but Spearhead is a great example because. You're more or less introduced to it through the Brigadier. Yeah. The Doctor doesn't do anything for the first episode, really, apart from get his keys from his shoes. That's about it. <laughs> That's about it, yeah. It's mainly the Brigadier fending off the press and fending off farmers that are finding stuff and kind of trying to control stuff. And he, like, Spearhead from Space could have continued as a unit series on its own without the Doctor if he just took the very first episode as a template. Well, yeah, because he's the one who introduces Lee Shaw to the to the yeah. to the wonders of you know alien invasions and whatever, yeah, he's, and he's, he's he's the believer, isn't he? Yeah, yeah you know? he's supposed to be the skeptic, but he's seen enough, you know. And it's uh, but I mean, even by the end of Spearhead, where where um, he's trying to control stuff, and he's you know he's saying to the Doctor, "All right, I'll give you the key back if you do this stuff for me." Yeah, you're not to wander off beforehand. And he's a, he's a great example of a foil to the Doctor. I mean, I know you're you're a Pertwee man more than anything else. Oh, I'm indeed. I'm indeed. But I've always found Pertwee a little bit... He's probably the most human out of all the Doctors. He's he's like that uncle that's that's a little bit preachy. Yeah, he's... he's well, I think he's, he's human. I don't know if he's as human as, say, I don't know, sort of like Tennant. I always found Tennant just a little bit too... Too human, but um, I was a sort of like fan with, with, with Pertwee. He was sort of the most establishment, anti-establishment doctor, if you know yeah. what I mean. But it, I mean, he could he could change his mind on stuff like that. Yeah, he <laughs> said, "Yeah, I know." Yeah, <laughs> Pertwee was almost like a human that wants to be a time lord. Yes, you know he, he had. Yeah, he was very very pompous and and, and I mean, he doctor could be pompous and very very patronising. Yeah, yeah, he really could. Um, but I mean, for that, that I mean, if you look at the the, the Brigadier's full first season with with Pertwee, so you go from Spear from Space, Doctor uh, the Silurians, Ambassador of Death and Inferno. Yeah. Um, to my mind, they're sort of like the strongest Brigadier stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, Spearhead establishes the normal Brigadier. Yeah. Silurians does something brilliant where it makes the Brigadier and the Doctor enemies. Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. But there's this thing between them where they're going. 
I don't think I should be dealing with you people. <laughs> you know yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, ambassadors of death. Yeah, that's fair, a fairly straightforward story, I suppose. And then Inferno gives you an example of what the Brigadier could be like if he was a complete bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you get the full gamble of what the Brigadier could be in that first season. Yeah. Fairly like it's it's. Uh, I think I think it's great because I mean, especially when you talk about the Silurians. I mean, he he takes the military option. He blows them up. Yeah, he? he he can't take the chance that you know yeah. the Doctor sort of brokered some sort of a peace here, but he, yeah. he will not take that chance. So he blows he's them happy, up. He's happy for the Doctor to help him out, but ultimately he has final say. Yeah, that's right. And I think, yeah, I, think I mean, in stories years later, he will tell other authority figures, "No, listen to the Doctor," but. At this stage, he's going, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, how, <laughs> like, how, how do you feel? Because as the seasons went on with, with Pertwee, the, the Brigadier's role kind of kind of changed. And I, and I personally, I don't know if you feel the same way, that he's, his character got sort of cheapened as it went on. Because as you say, from space, yeah, space he can... he's, he's not the sceptic, is he? But as it went on, his character became more and more disbelieving of what he was seeing and more sceptical. And especially, yeah, and to state an, a, a different viewpoint to the Doctor. Yeah, because I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but I mean, by the time we get to the three doctors, the the, the brigadier's basically a buffoon. Yeah, you're kind of going, how can you not know about aliens yet? <laughs> yeah, I oh know. <laughs> You've seen enough of them, like you know this. You're now into season I two. It all depended on who was writing it at the time. And, and yeah, I um, would have had a bible for the brigadier that started from day one for each writer. I've no idea. You would have thought so. I mean, um, you know, sort of time you, you get into like season eight. Um, He's in. Well, he's basically all, sto- all stories of season, apart from Colony in Space, only the, the, the yeah. first and last episodes of that one. But I mean, um, sort of the Mind of Evil again is another good Brigadier story. He's, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, him and Unit are very much at the at the at the forefront. Yeah, of, of that one. Um, but also, by the time when you get to season eight, you've got what's called sort of like the Unit family. Really, that's that's sort of now in, in sort of. That's it. That's in bed. So you've got Mike Yates and Sergeant yeah. Benton, and now you've got Joe, Joe Grant as well as you know there with the yeah. Brigadier. Um, I mean, how how do you feel they sort of? Because obviously during season seven, was it Captain Hawkins? And there's, they, they seemed to have a, a a rotating cast of unit members, didn't you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, group of about seven or eight that were kind of. Depending well, on what actors were around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the Saloons, you even had Paul Darrow in there as well, didn't you? Um, as, as a, I, one, one... Forgot, I'd forgotten that. I keep forgetting he was... Yeah. I, I can't remember if he gets killed off in it or not. I honestly I can't remember. Or, or he's just like a one-shot captain or something. I, got, I can't remember. But Killed, um... killed, by, killed by Blake. <laughs> yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so by the time you get to season eight, the Brigadier's got his his crew around him, really, yeah, hasn't yeah. he? Um, do, do you think that's to his... To, Plays to his strengths or to his detriment, really. Um, it's almost like it's. This is the season that's now become the unit show. Yeah, like Colony in Space was very jarring because all of a sudden it was just the Doctor and Joe off doing alien stuff. And, mm. Um, but the time the Diamonds was on, you're going, all right, right, we're back to <laughs> we're back to unit again. Yeah, exactly. We're back yeah. to what we know. Like I, I'd say, like kids coming in during season eight. Yes. I probably loved season eight and nine, but after that we're going, oh, hang on, what's happening now? The Doctor's going off to alien planets, and, and when is the Brigadier coming back? Yeah. I mean, I'm skipping ahead here, but the Brigadier had kind of a very 
no fanfare of an exit whatsoever eventually. Yeah, it just sort of regular who. Yeah, it just sort of petered out, didn't it? Really? Yeah. Which I think was a was a shame. Um he never sort of got like a proper I know it's sort of like actors get written out and characters get written out, you know. Um but it was always the thing about the Brigadier, he's always there. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, late, later into Pertwee's stuff, you see this camaraderie develop between the two of them. Yeah. Like this respect. This respect as opposed to this. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, that's me Irish accent coming out. But um, yeah, where, where, you know, the Brigadier could lighten up. He could go to see magician plays with the Doctor and, you know, he could... Things like that. And... Uh, they kind of softened towards each other, but I think the Doctor always knew, but the Brigadier is still at the back of it, going to be this close-minded person. And I think the Brigadier realised, well, the Doctor at the back of it is still going to be this person I'll never understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was a kind of a, a formula to those um, those sort of earthbound alien invasion scripts as well. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you always had, obviously, you've got the, the, the Doctor and, and the Brigadier there as well. Obviously, the Brigadier units are asked to, to, to investigate something. Then you've got the government minister... Who seems to have his own agenda, um, especially sure the, the brigadier has to count how to exactly, or, or, you, or you block get the doctor from offending and, exactly, you know. or you get the, um, the 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 brigadiers outranked by someone from the regular army and and and, and things like that. So there was a kind of a and Pertwee thumps his fist off a console somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there was there was sort of a, a repeating formula, but I always found it was it was quite sort of comforting in, in, a, yeah. in a in a strange way. You know, you sort of kind of knew what to expect. You know, the the brigadier's going to do this this week, but he's it, sort of like, you, you're glad that he was doing it. Yeah. Um, and he needs the doctor's help, but you're glad he, he's there to back up the doctor when the doctor actually needs to do his scientific stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it's, I mean, especially at the end of Inferno as well, when and, and the doctor sort of calls the brigadier all the names under the sun as he tries to disappear with the TARDIS console and he ends up in the yeah. rubbish skip out the yeah. back and all of a sudden he has to ask the Brigadier for his help to get out the skip again so has his ass handed to him exactly by the, by the failure of time lure technology yeah so well, I, I, I love that bit I really do <laughs> yeah no it's brilliant it's, it's, and, and Pertwee has that like brilliant comedy face of, of just okay um, I've messed up um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can, I, can I come back in to, from the cold <laughs> pardon the pun but the but, thing uh, is I mean um, obviously a lot a lot of to, I think the Brigadier's charm, a lot of it, I mean, I think all of it really comes from Nicholas Courtney, really. I mean, he, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he really did sort of bring everything to it. Um, I mean, so, I, some, sorry, yeah, go on, sorry. No, just something, I'm probably skipping ahead again, but it's just, it's just something that occurred to me when I was thinking about this podcast was the, the didn't I read that Tom Baker and Nicholas Courtney became great friends? They did, yes. I, I think they, I think they were, Tom was even with him when he died. I remember reading something about that in an interview. Uh, I think I think you're right, actually. Yeah, I think he was. Or with or or just shortly before he died. Yeah, it's, it's and that's like that. that's kind of that's something about Doctor Who that really sucks you in and keeps you in. It's like it's like Capaldi now, like the way Capaldi knows his Doctor Who. Yeah, and he will go around drawing pictures for kids in hospitals, and and he'll he'll play the character. I even remember reading uh, Capaldi's letter to Doctor Who magazine there a couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think everyone's so, read that. Though, yeah. It's just so that's how a fan that became the doctor would write that kind of letter, you know? Like, yeah. he, he's just fantastic. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of, it, it's, I don't know, were Nicholas Courtney and Pertwee close after Pertwee had left Doctor I th- Who? I, th- I think they were. I mean, I've, I mean, I've read, 
Um, we, we weren't as privy to actors' lives back then. As no, we, are. we weren't. I mean, I, I read Elizabeth Sladen's autobiography, right? And she she did say that Pertwee could be a bit, a bit sort of funny. With, I can imagine. I can with, see with it. Her. Yeah. Um, he, he would take offence quite easily yeah. about things. I don't know if that happened with, between him and, and Courtney. I'm certainly not aware of it, but he, he did with, with Liz Sladen. I think but, it was after um, she had her first child. Right. And she she wrote, I think, I probably might be misremembering stuff here, but I'm quite sure she wrote that um, Pertwee never sort of congratulated her on it. Right, at all. Yeah, So yeah. congratulations, set some flowers or, or, you know, whatever, card. Um, I got you, yeah. And then it was sort of like a, a, about a year or so later, I think she spoke to Pertwee's wife and she said, oh, oh John John took, um, she was quite upset that you, you, you didn't contact him about, you know, about, about the baby. Yeah. And all that. And she thought, well, what, what stopped him from contacting me? He you know, felt slighted because, it, well, I mean, back in those days, yeah, he, he male took, actors would have assumed yeah, a superior he, role. Yeah, he, he just what took it. He took it as a, yeah, I know, yeah. but he, but that's how he was. He took it as a personal slight that right. she yeah. didn't contact him to sort of like I've just had a baby, John. You know, um, if very, I think he, I don't know if he's sort of like a, a complicated man, but he's certainly a very very proud man. But I, I, I mean, Liz Sladen loved Nick Courtney. I, 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 of all the things I've read about Nick Courtney, no, yeah. nobody had a bad word to say about him at all. Actually, that's the one thing I haven't watched the Sarah Jane Adventures with Nick Courtney yet. Right, it's it's really quite. I mean, he doesn't have a lot to do because I, I, right. I, he wasn't well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. At, at the time, and and it was, it was just so great to see him back in in the in the world of Doctor Who on TV again. Because obviously he'd done the Big Finish stuff, and I, I don't know if you listen yeah. to any um, Big I Finish. Or, no, I haven't heard any of his Big Finish stuff. No. Well, I mean, again, um, he's outstanding, right? Really, um, I mean, we've reviewed a couple. Um, of Doctor Audio stories with Nick Courtney in. Um, I think the last one we did was The Spectre of Lanyon Moore. Right. Which is a brilliant story anyway. It's a sixth Doctor story, and his, his companion that is Evelyn Smythe. Right. Um, who me and Paul are just absolutely mad about as, as a companion. She's an older companion. Is she a Colin Baker companion? She is, yeah. yeah. Just, just... I, I, mean, I mean, Big Finish, I've probably only heard 10 or 15 out of the complete run. Yeah. So I just, I just. Oh, there's, there's hundreds of them there, wasn't there? Oh, I know. I, I, yeah. I, I'm really enjoying the War Doctor stuff at the minute, actually. I, 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 that's a, I'm trying to catch up on the older stuff rather than listen to the, the newer stuff at the moment. See, but... I don't know when I get to hear it all. So... Well, that's the thing, it's going to take me <laughs> if, years. You if know, something but... shinier, I go for that now. <laughs> well, so anyway, but this story has got the Brigadier, the Sith Doctor, and um, Evelyn Smythe, and they just, all three actors just bounce off one another it, it was one of the, my favourite audio stories it's actually nice to have a decent story between the Brigadier and the Sixth Doctor after what we got on television yeah oh god so I mean yeah I mean what was that was Dimensions in Time wasn't it that was the only do, do you know what Dimensions in Time was weird because I think I was 23 at the time hmm. and uh, Doctor Who hadn't been on in, in four years was it something like that yeah here's and the girl I was going out at the time, I was trying to convince her that Doctor Who was good. <laughs> so she watched <laughs> Dimensions in Time with me. And I, I think she broke up with me about like two weeks later. It was just... You lying oh, no. bastard. Oh no, that's my memory of Doctor Who. What have I done? <laughs> oh God, there was a bloody nightmare of Doctor Who, that one. Oh my God. It's, it's such a shame that, that that was his last appearance. 
uh, yeah, in, in Doctor Who really was that pile but, of no, crap. He, you know, it's this. No, he, well, he had Battlefield. Well, he did, but that but that was um, that was before. Well, no, sorry, yeah, that was before it. Sorry, before I, I'm, it. Yeah, I'm yeah. taking an order of Doctor here, so I'm going. Hang on, McCoy was after the sixth Doctor. Uh, no, no, it's un- oh, unfortunately it was... it was afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was his last TV. Who? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because I've got the the, the the Wikipedia page open, and it actually lists his last um, appearance or the Brigadier's last appearance in Doctor Who was Death in Heaven. Which I am right. right. I, I will refute with my, yeah, with my dying that breath. To be honest, <laughs> that was a very tenuous inclusion. It was. Yeah, I um, don't know if you remember at the time when that went out. It turned out that the Brigadier and Dan, Danny Pink had both been turned into Cybermen. Yeah, I. Mm, I drew a cartoon called Pinky and the Brig. I remember that well, actually. I remember, yeah, yeah, yes. where I done the field and just as Pinky and the Brig, but that that was about as heavy as it got for me. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, it was. I appreciate um, the salute, but you already had Kate by that stage, so you didn't need it. Well, no, exactly, because I mean, um, I know. Again, we really are skipping to the to, to the end here. Yeah. Um, was obviously um, the Wedding of River Song, um, where the where the Doctor was it Wedding River Song? It's before long before that, wasn't it? Um, oh God, come on, the bloody story now. It was it, it the um, sixth season, wasn't it? Because he he died. Because you, you had the you had um, Liz Slade and him died not too far apart from one another, didn't didn't they? Oh, it's the one with the doctor phones to speak. He phones, to... yeah, he phones, yeah, he phones yeah. the car. I was like, get him ready. Um, we're going on an adventure, and he said, "Oh no, he passed away three months ago." I, I remember at the time thinking, "Why didn't the doctor just phone six months ago?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said, "I wish I remember the name of the black." I mean, the doctor says, must know when every one of his companions is dead. It was the Wedding the River song. I was right. It was the Wedding the River song. Oh, yeah, it was that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how the Doctor can be surprised by finding out Companion's dead because he's been to the end of time and back. He must know. I mean, he knows when Joe Grant's going to die. You know what I mean? It's not like... Like, his Companion's lifetimes are so short. Yeah. Compared to what he's been to. He can't expect <laughs> to arrive 60 years after he's last seen them and... Oh shit! They're dead. They're you know? dead. Yeah, I know. I, I, How did that happen? Well, I think isn't that supposed to sort of reflect more the the, the doctor's uh, sort of lifestyle? Really, he just sort of flits about. He never really ages, and of course, he leaves these people behind at, at certain yeah. points, and he never. It's, it's, it's like ne- why would he wear a wristwatch? Yeah, you know what I mean. It's, it's <laughs> time is immaterial to him, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that that's that was it. But I thought that was probably. The, the best way to say goodbye to the Brigadier because he never got the chance yeah. to, to, to do it on television. It, it was more you know. for, I think, the fans. It was, yeah. You know, it, it was almost like that moment in Adventures in Space and Time where Matt Smith shows up at the console. Mm. It was just like a, on the wrong side of the console. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. more of a, as a nod to fans. It was just a, it was a nice... Li- well, or, or just to mention this and Nicholas Courtney died or whatever. yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's like what they did with um, when after Liz Sladen passed away. Um, yeah. You know, when the, the final series of the Sarah Jane Adventures, and they didn't kill the character off. They yeah. they just said that she's still out there having adventures, and I thought that that was yeah. a really a really nice way to to sort of draw a line under it, if you know what I mean. So she's still there, she's still having adventures, and that's it. So the the character's still out there. It's funny, when you asked me to, to pick a companion, for a moment, um, Harry Sullivan fleeted into my head. 
Now, yeah, because I, I must admit, um, I'm waiting for someone to pick Harry. Yeah. Actually, because um, I like the Brigadier who, who featured in quite a few stories. Harry actually didn't. Yeah. Really, well, and I know, cause he, he became quite a favourite. Huh? He I did. Think, yeah. Yeah. I think it's because he was in the season where Tom Baker became the favourite. Yes. So people put the two of them hand in hand. Yeah, and it's right yeah. Because I sort of like when I sort of remember growing up, it was because um, I, mean, I do remember vaguely sort of the last sort of season. I remember about watching the Green Death, then the most of the last season of, of Pertwee. Then obviously I can remember plenty about like Tom Baker. Yeah, so I can remember loads about Harry Sullivan. They were moving off the Brigadier, but I remember loads about Harry Sullivan. And now it's only because I got old and buying the DVDs, and I thought, hang on a minute, he's only in these stories. Yeah, he's only done like four stories. Exactly. Yeah, I know. But I suppose, I suppose then when you well, he was in the right place at the right time. Yes, he was, wasn't he? And I mean, that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying to you. I, I think it was before we recorded about how people can plan what videos are going to go viral. Yes, it just something happens at the right place at the right time. And Harry Sullivan was one of those. Like it was. Yeah, I mean, because obviously he was bought in because they thought they got, they were going to cast an older actor. <laughs> and in, also, in, I think you know, because Ian Martyr went and wrote a book and was obviously a fan of the show that it endeared him to us a little bit more. Do you know that way? Yeah. Yeah. He wrote some very good target novelizations, actually. In yeah, Martin. yeah, he really did. But uh, anyway, um, we're sort of digressing a little bit. Sorry, yeah, yeah, Brigadier. <laughs> Sorry, Brig. Sorry, Brig. Sorry, Nicholas. Salute. Yes, there we go. Can't see it, but I've just saluted. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a shame. So obviously, his sort of last story, um, sort of like with Tom Baker was. And I was again, we're skipping forward here. Actually, what do you think about his last story with, with Pertwee? Before we get into Tom Baker, Planet of the Spiders. It's uh, um. Because again, it's it's not really a unit story as such, no, is it? No, it's it's the doctor running off to do stuff elsewhere and and whatever. It was more. It was actually more nearly more of a Mike Yates story. Mm. It's sort of the redemption of Mike Yates after yeah, the invasion yeah. of the dinosaurs, wasn't it? Yeah. But but the Brigadier by Association because yeah, it's a unit. Um, and just the doctor was being there for his regeneration at the end. Mm. Which I think was the last real close moment he had with the Doctor. This is the funny thing about Robot Part 1. I don't know if people realise it, right? Tom Baker is known for the long scarf and the floppy hat and what have you. Mm. It's the Brigadier that shows that outfit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Goes, exactly. Very yeah. good, Doctor. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. Like, Brigadier shows the fourth Doctor's look. <laughs> he true, doesn't get actually. credit for it. <laughs> The doctor could be spinning around time dressed as a Piero right now, and and oh god, you imagine if you chose that one? Yeah, well, or a Viking or something. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> bloody hell. So honestly, I mean, obviously, robot. The next time you see the, the brigadier is Terror of the Zygons, um, which it, which is a good brigadier and unit story. Yeah, it's a nice typical. It it almost feels like something that was written with Pertwee in mind. It, yeah, it does read, doesn't it? It's it's very much that sort of like the sort of like the you got back to the sort of the ecological spin, which you had a lot in Pertwee stories, and of course this one it's sort of to do with oil, and then the doctor says, you know, well, you stop relying on these fossil fuels and and stuff like, like, like you know. Pertwee could have played the doctor in that story. He could have done. He, he could have been a season easily, easily have played it. Um, but I just think it's a it's a good unit story, and I think that again it might have something to do with Douglas Camfield, who was quite sort of military, um, military minded. I think he probably did some of the best unit stories, really. And um, that was filmed for the end of season twelve, originally. It was, yeah. 
So that's probably just they they never. It, it's a pity it wasn't written as a farewell story to the Brigadier if they'd known that was his last regular appearance. Yeah, it just seemed to sort of, as I say, because just kind of after that, it out, just went it? straight onto alien stuff. And like with, with Pyramids of Mars and, and Android Invasion, they'd allude to Unit, but yeah, almost written as a recent memory that we're never going back to. Actually, I said I tell a lie. Seeds of Doom had a touchy Unit to it. It did. Apparently, the um, the Brigadier was supposed to have reappeared in that story in Seeds of Doom. In Seeds of Doom, but right. Nicholas Courtney wasn't available. Right, I get you. So yeah. you got this other character, major. I can't remember what that character it was a major something rather. So yeah, so you you got like a, a brigadier substitute, really, which yeah. is which was a which was a shame. Actually. Yeah, like that, I suppose that would have been his last sort of final hurrah. But but, I, um, but TV didn't think of those terms back in those days. Well. well, no, they didn't. As I say, you just you just your contract didn't get renewed, and that was it. Really, there was there was no sort of like we must say goodbye properly to this character. We just and it was just like, actors you know. taking jobs as well. But there was no. Build up and rapport with an audience, and no, exactly, exactly. But um, but I suppose the next time you see him is Maudrin Undead. Um, oh, was Maudrin before or after the Five Doctors? I can't remember it's now. Be- it's before. Maudrin it's, was first. It's was be- it? It's first. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, it, it's a it's a nice. I, 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 I mean, I've only watched it a couple of times. I've got quite very vague memories about Maudrin Undead. It, it, do you know what was great about it for Doctor Who fans, particularly because it used that thing that was used at the end of Legopolis. You know, at the end of Legopolis, where he re- regenerates. Yeah. And you get to see clips of all his companions in yeah. that one minute, which you would never have access to otherwise. True, you wouldn't. You know what I mean? You like, no, it's right. And it was the same with the Brigadier stuff in Modern Undead when he starts remembering stuff and it's real. Oh my God, there's clips of this and clips of that. And it's, you know, it was very exciting at the time. Yeah, yeah. Just sort but, of take, uh, a bit, take that sort of thing for granted now, don't you? Because you can watch those stories now. It's, it's... And, and the whole thing with the, the Blinovich limitation effect or whatever with the Brigadier in yeah. Modern dead is that the brigadier is completely unaware of what any of it means yeah because he's still this straight laced you know yeah i know what you're saying doctor but what do you mean he still has that <laughs> that attitude to him um well even in mordred undead wasn't it supposed to be ian chesterton oh i the, didn't know the, the, because because obviously that like the, the brigadier's a um a teacher maths right. teacher and i right. quite i'm Someone out there would probably correct me if I'm wrong. I'm quite sure it was originally envisioned to be in Chesterton, which would make more sense. Yeah, that had never occurred to me, but it does make sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's a shame that um, William Russell's never come back. Cause, you know, I know, I've gotten the proper kudos. Yeah, but... exactly. Exactly. I know sort of Jack, Jacqueline Hill come back for uh, Megloss, but obviously she wasn't playing Barbara Wright, unfortunately. Um I did mention to you before the podcast as well that I was currently rewatched the first Hartnell season. Yes, yeah, yeah. Ian Chesterton's quite—he's quite—he's almost has the brigadier aspect about him. Well, it was that and sort of stories because he's the one that puts it in sense for 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 the audience. Yeah, yeah, for people that know what's going on here. Like, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, he's like a prototype Harry Sullivan as well. Actually, you get he gets all, all the the heavy lifting, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, Harry Sullivan's weird because he kind of 
he was accepting of the fact he didn't know what was going on. He just went with it. <laughs> yeah, he, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he just saw... I mean, just an old girl this, and once I have my cravat, I'm happy. Like <laughs> he did spot the cravat rather well, actually. Yeah, he did. There's very few men that can get away with that. <laughs> very, few, and probably even less nowadays. Well, yeah, it's, it's a it's a dying fashion trend now. The cravat. Unless you're an art critic, forget it. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, you mentioned the five doctors as well. And again, he wasn't supposed to have been paired up with uh, Trout. He's supposed to have been paired up with Pertwee. Right. Which, again, would have made more sense. But I think it's because of... Um, Tom, Tom Baker wasn't around. Tom Baker wasn't around, yeah. So they yeah. shifted yeah. all around again. Which... And that, that, that worked. I think that worked out well. I mean, it, it, I think there was a nice camaraderie between the Brig and the second doctor. Mm. When you think that's how they first met. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, but everyone was... remembers the relationship between the third Doctor and the Brig, and all they get is a briefly sort of shake hands, and he... Yeah! And it's like, and it's like um, it's excuse, excuse me, I must, get, must go over there, because they'll get this wrong without me. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's it, oh, that's the interaction done. It, it's such a yeah. it's such a shame, really. Like, a, if it was, like, real life, you'd run over and hug and go, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long! And yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which, which makes the whole thing with Matt Smith all the more sort of poignant because they never got the chance to do that did they never yeah, got, yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's it's such a well if you're a time lord it's very hard to bond to bond with 60s or 70s men <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you know, they just didn't do that stuff oh, exactly after you got the 2000s to actually have a, a decent honest heart to heart with a man yeah yeah it is a shame it's such a shame really but it, it's but again i mean it's... If, you, if you imagined um Matt Smith's doctor as being banished to Earth in 1970. Yeah. And watching it on 1970s television, it would have been just lunacy. <laughs> it would have been. It would have you know been. what I mean? It would have been. But you know what? I, re- I reckon Matt Smith's doctor and the Brigadier w- would have been a good combination. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I've... Matt Smith's had a lot of opportunity with military types, e- even in the, the, the two-parter with the Weeping Angels on the spaceship that... Um, what was the name of that soldier that was the guy that eventually got caught by the Weeping Angels? Oh, I've got a complete blank. I know it was, it was Ian Glenn, the actor who played him. Is that what you're talking about? Or, or the soldier Bob? No, no, the older guy. The, the older the... guy, yeah. That was the, I know the actor Ian Glenn, but I can't remember his... Um, um, his you know, but he, he had an almost Brigadier vibe to him because he was straight-laced and there was no messing and, and he just was there to... Stop aliens! <laughs> it was like a season seven brigadier, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. It really was. So, if you, I mean, if you had to uh, um, to pick your sort of favourite brigadier story, what would it be? I'd be inclined to pick Inferno, but that's not really the brigadier, if you know what I mean. But it's making you see who the brigadier actually is. I, I think. I mean, I mean, Inferno's my favourite Doctor. When I've gone on record, I must be boring the arse of people. They must have heard me say this so many times now. But I mean, I mean Inferno is my all-time favourite Doctor Who story. Well, I remember yeah. reading the Target novel of Inferno mm. while we had a heat wave. <laughs> very apt. <laughs> In bed one night, we had a heat wave. I was about seventeen, maybe, and I'm reading it. I just, it just really, it just really felt like I'd seen it on television. Do you know that way? Mm. Yeah. Um, but a favourite Brigadier story, um, like a regular Brigadier, it's obviously, it's, it's I suppose, I mean, Terror of the Zygons, even though it's not a pair tweet, 
um, would strike me as a good Brigadier story. So I'm just scrolling back up here now because <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember which story was in which season. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Damons is a good example. Yes, it is. You know, and even with the whole let's go to the pub at the end, like it's real. Right, we got through this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we sorted out more mental madness with the master and and weak humans. I I, I, I like the fact he's just right, Captain Yates. Right, let's go for a pint. You know, yeah. I, 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 that just shows sort of like the sort of the, the, the sort of the, the, the closeness of of unit yeah. really, and and he's sort of like the, the he could even make a slight homosexual joke with him, and it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> We'll dance. Uh, no, we we'll go for a point. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe after a couple of points, we'll dance. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I think another good one for the Brigadier. Um, I think Inferno is a good Nicholas Courtney. Yeah. Because because he gets a lot to do yeah. in that one. Yeah, good way. Um, but I think my personal favourite um, Brigadier story is probably Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Do, do you know? I'm not over. I. I, I don't think I've seen that enough. I think I might have saw it once in the late 80s. Because the thing is, everyone remembers the um, the dinosaurs and they take the, you know, the, constantly take the piss out of the dinosaurs. But the, the dinosaurs are really completely inconsequential to the story. Yeah, yeah. They really you, are. It's a cracking story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if you read the... I mean, we did a, a review of the Target book of Revasion of the Dinosaurs. And... The dinosaurs are hardly mentioned at all in yeah. the book. They, they're hardly there. Um, and it's just a cracking story. Or a clacking story. Or clacking, yes. Really well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Um, and I, I'd say that's a good... Because it's the, that whole thing when he when the Brigadier finds out that Mike Yates has betrayed him. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, you can see the Brigadier's heartbroken because he does generally care for the men under his command and if you're saying like two of the zygons there's a there's a bit in the again in the in the the, the target novelization um of that there's a scene why where one of his men is killed and it's not anyone you know or anything but the brigadier was just sort of all the way through what why did it have to kill him you know he yeah. was generally upset about one of his men had died yeah someone under, under his command and, and that's that's what i love about the brigadier even though about 12 of them were killed by Axons. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but you didn't know their names, so that was all right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They weren't sort of, You sort of get the impression with the brigadier that his his men weren't faced a sort of nameless faces to yeah, him. Yeah, he knew yeah. them all personally, and and that's why that's what I you, like. I wonder what kind of military or or what kind of you know away history they had. Like, have they had they been done Vietnam together, or <laughs> and where did they go after a unit? Like, were they sent off to Iraq as as yeah, well, I was trying. To, I was trying to imagine the history of any unit soldier. I I remember as a teenager watching, um, there's a Pertwee story. Oh, I can't remember now. It, it was one where unit were featured. Have actually, it might have been Zygons. Now that mm, I think of it, yeah, it was in my granddad's, and my uncle happened to come home from the army for a couple of weeks at the time. So I had my granddad and my uncle army people watching this with me <laughs> yeah yeah they're going oh those guns are such and such and that, you know and it was <laughs> that made it feel a little bit more realistic to me like it was yeah i, I suppose it, yeah, if you've got somebody who's in the know like they used were. to slag it out like in doctor who but as soon as unit turned up it was all all right right i know where we are now <laughs> 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 no. 
That's good. Or at least you sort of like you sort of like someone could. Did they sort of like sort of um, comment on the authenticity of how these two act as soldiers yeah, yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So apparently, did like, I, I always laughed in Doctor Who, particularly at soldiers or policemen who were flat-footed. Right. Okay. You don't okay. see that in the army, but you see in actors playing <laughs> army people. You go, no real army person would, would stumble across a field like that. You know. It's, yeah. It's... Exactly. Or or ever hold their rifle or, or gun like that as well. Yeah. I know what you mean. I do know what you mean because my my granddad was a was a copper. And yeah, right. and, he, and he, he'd comment on things like that. He sort of he watching that that, yeah. that copper during Spearhead from Space with the windows smash, and you see him running down. See him running. He's holding f- his helmet and his feet going out like clown's feet. <laughs> That's not a copper. <laughs> That's an actor. It's not even an actor. It's an extra that was asked to be a copper. Like yeah, he's at like last moment as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no thought <laughs> going to it. <laughs> Just get this done and I can go home to my family and. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Well, I don't I think, think I don't think actors in the seventies had the same pride in getting a role in Doctor Who as they do now. Do you know that way? No, I think there's. there's I, more... I have another comedian friend because I know we mentioned coming to start. Um, yeah. Gareth Berliner. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a, he's a London-based comedian. Mm. But in that story, the 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 woman who lived. Yes. He plays the the guy driving the coach at the very start. Oh, does he really? Yeah, and it's a good speaking part. And it involves Capaldi. Yeah. And I remember, I'm about to get this little part in Doctor Who. And I went, and he told me about it. I went, dude, that is a huge part. And he goes, yeah, that's brilliant. Know, it, was, it was just a couple of lines. Yeah, but you're with Capaldi. Like, yeah. you probably have your own action figure. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm also friendly enough with Ardell O'Hanlon. Oh, okay. Who you'd know his father, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, played. Um, Brannigan. Brannigan, yeah, in, in, that, in that tenant story. Yeah, uh, he, he said the same thing. I got a little part in Doctor Who, and I went, "Dude, <laughs> there's no such thing as a little part. You could probably do conventions for the next ten years if you want." You and I remember, that, yeah. I remember seeing the action figure of Brannigan and going, "I'd love to actually buy this and give it to him next time I see him." But <laughs> I'm sure he's had it passed by him for approval anyway. Oh, must have done. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, I'd give me eye teeth. I also know Rufus Hound. Oh blimey! You've got, you know a lot, quite a few Doctor Who connections here, don't you? <laughs> I have photographs because I gigged once with Rufus Hound in the Laughter Lounge in Dublin back in about two thousand and six, mm. and he let me photograph his tattoos. He had Daleks up one arm, and other Doctor Who stuff up the other arm. Oh, well, so he's a, he's a full on Doctor Who nerd then. He's a, so a full on Doctor Who nerd, but I only found out recently he only discovered it in the new series. Oh, okay. He's one of that new, <laughs> what the new the new breed, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if if it had been on air after eighty nine, he probably would have been into it. But he was just born that little bit too late to get it. Oh, but like he's right. totally overboard. Oh, I keep meaning to put up the photograph of tattoos, but that's I don't amazing. think he even remembers me now. That's amazing, yeah. mate. Bloody hell! Yeah. No, nice way to get round of the podcast with a bit of name dropping. Why not? <laughs> Oh, any chance I get to name drop if it makes me seem more accomplished, I'm quite happy to do it. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's been a couple of others from Who that I've worked with, but yeah, yeah, you're almost afraid to mention Doctor Who to them because you're going. Oh, well, it's no, probably just a one, it's just a little job to them, really, wasn't it? And they've probably been, as you say, they've been, oh god, no, Doctor Who again. Oh my you know? god, if I got like a few minutes being talking to either the Doctor or the companion, like I'd. 
it would be my profile photograph and cover pic for the rest of my life. Do you know that way? <laughs> well, the thing is, I, 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 had the, I had the chance to doorstep Bonnie Langford once. It, it was just after my, um, literally, I think the couple of days after my kids were born. Um, my wife was still in hospital, re- re- recovering. The kids were still in hospital. They were in hospital for a couple of weeks after, afterwards in ITU. Um, and I had to go out and get some more nappies, okay, so to take to take into the hospital. Um, and I was I was in the, in the shopping centre, and I'd just come out of mother care, and I was walking, I think I was walking back through the shopping centre to get back to the car park. I looked I look down at this, at this, got some benches in there, and there was Bonnie Langford, and she was doing panto right. at, 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 at the Churchill Theatre Bromley. And she was just sitting there, touching on the phone, I thought, I could just now just sort of like... Add, just say, excuse me, Bonnie, big Doctor Who fan, do a podcast, can I do a quick thing, take a photograph and everything? I, I thought, no, I'm supposed to be getting back to the hospital. It, it, the timing was all wrong. It was all wrong. Right. I thought, yeah, I thought yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know sort of Bonnie Langford gets a bit short. And, and she's short. so nice, she probably would have went, yeah. She sure. would have done, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. I know. I've, I've, I, I've heard about her from a couple of people and, and they go, she is sickeningly that nice in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that I'll never, I'll probably never get the chance again now. So it's, it's a shame, really. But I dropped drop one more name. Oh, go on. One more go. name, which is that's all right. Um, can you still hear me, by the way? Yes, can okay. Yes, yeah, still there. Uh, there's a comedian friend of mine, Johnny Candon. Mm. And he's the same age as me. We grew up in the same part of Dublin. We went to the same comic shops, but he went off to England when he was 17 or 18 and yeah. started his comedy career there. We even had this conversation when we were living in two different countries when the TV movie came out on DVD. Okay. And neither of us could afford it, but we, we would take the day off work to go and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it we were about 26 at the time when the TV movie came out. Hmm. But he had to go over to London. He's moved back to Ireland since, but he still has a lot of contacts in London. And, what have you. Yeah. and he had to go over to London there two years ago to do a gig. And he was phoning around comedian friends in London going, can I stay on your couch? Can I stay on your couch? And one of his comedian friends says, you can stay on my couch, but I'm going to be away. Mm. So it'll just be you and my flatmate. Right, okay. His friend's flatmate was Nicola Bryant. Oh, no. So he stayed with Nicola Bryant for a weekend. And he just gushed. I bet. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, Nicola Bryan still looks the exact same, but but it's uh, no. Yeah, I would have well, been. I would have been a mess if that was me. Like it's, same here, same here. Bloody oh, hell, crikey! Yeah, Nicola Bryan. My God. Yeah, I, I also think um, so many thoughts. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what's the girl that played Polly and Annika Wills? Annika Wills. Yeah, I, she lives in the west of Ireland. Really. And somebody told me she met her one of her kids, and he's going, oh, yeah, my mother was in Doctor Who years ago. And he tells me this casually, and I'm going, who's your mother? Like, I'm gonna... <laughs> You're shaking it out of him. Yeah. <laughs> it might not be Annika Wales, but it's Annika Wales, but it's one of that, that, that ilk. I think it, I don't know. Well, I think it's either Annika Wales or... Um, uh... There's a lot of weird, famous people that you meet in the west of Ireland, like um, Martin Sheen moved there for a couple of years to go to college. <laughs> All right, okay. And I'd walk to Dublin Airport and see Martin Sheen sitting there getting his shoes shined. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody just passes him and goes, good man. Nobody bothers him. Ireland is a little bit funny like that. We don't bother. Well, I'll tell you what, I think the last, well, I think the last time um, I was at 
Heathrow Airport. No, it was the last one at Heathrow Airport. I think I was I was on my way to Tokyo or something. I was I was killing time wandering around all the, the like the shops inside the airport. And I see Jeremy Irons right. in there with his wife. Um is it Sinead Cusack? I think is his is his wife. I think it's Sinead Cusack. I think so. So um anyway, and they're both walking round and I looked at them and I just thought you couldn't be more actory if you tried. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? They they were just sort of they had the scarves. They, they know, did. They, they had the scarves, big floppy really? floppy hats, trying to look like about, about four large paper bags from Harrods. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying <laughs> to look like going incognito. Yeah, they stuck it like a sore thumb. They look like a couple yeah. of actor ponces, basically. Stick on a twig cap, we can pass as homeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was unbelievable. It's sort of like. It was sort of like they're drawing attention to themselves, but with the intention yeah, of not drawing not attention to, to themselves. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to be that famous. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! All right, Robert. I think that's probably after we've both been name dropping. There, I think it's probably a good time to to. No. Um, we co- we co- haven't got to Battlefield, but but Battlefield was more oh. or less just a glory story, I suppose. For the week. it was, it was. Yeah, it, it, apparently he was supposed to have been sort of killed off. In, in, yeah, in that, wasn't he? Well, um, but the anticipated fan reaction. So yes, indeed. Um, do you th- think? Do you think if they had killed him off in that story, do you think it would have been a fitting end? Um. Well, yeah. Like it was only. It wasn't that long after they killed Adric, so we, we were kind of used to. I don't know. It's very hard to know, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to know what a beloved simple Earth character. Yeah, I don't know if it was a good thing for the Brigadier to. I, I go out in a blaze of glory like he was supposed to have done in Battlefield, or just died peacefully in a, in a nursing home, I mean, leave, le, day, le, leaving out a glass of brandy for the doctor every night in case he dropped by. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I'll go with the latter actually. Keep him alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I to this day, it's very hard for him to kill any human companions. Obviously. Yeah, it's not the sort of thing they go. Kill Catherine Tate. They couldn't even keep Catherine Tate's memory wiped. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They couldn't kill Clara. No. Um. They should have probably. I yeah. Um. I there are some big problems with with that. I mean, I love the Clara character, and I thought uh, and Jenna Collins a fantastic actress. But I thought Face the Raven was a good way, good ending for her. Yeah, and when, yeah. when she turned up again in, in Heaven Sent, because the Doctor couldn't let her go mentally. Yeah, I thought that was a good way to sort of keep her there, but then to actually to actually bring her back in the last story, sort of yeah. like you know we can't kill her off, and it's and it's not like you can do that and with it because she's a split second away from a heart attack essentially. Yeah, but it's you know? because, I, I just find that's become a little bit stale. Now. Yeah, they've yeah, done exactly. with every this companion's gonna die, and then they don't. I mean, it was funny yeah. when Rory died several times, but yeah, yeah, um, they couldn't even kill Rory and Amy; they just sent them back in time and. Well, at least you did see they do die because you see their names on their on their on their shared, a shared gravestone, don't on, they? On, but, unless, well, yeah, but that's only because of natural time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, it would be interesting if when they heard the new companion Bill, mm. if they said to her from the start, "Listen, we're gonna get people to love you like nobody else, but we are gonna kill you at the end of your second season." Yeah, I want. Yeah, that, I would, if, that would be a good way to go. Well, that'd be under Chibnall, wouldn't it? If she, if she does get a second season, so. and you wouldn't know where Chibnall will come from on this either, you know. It's, it's, no, exactly. It's, it's 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 a it's a big mystery. I'm looking forward to it anyway. Oh, I am too. Yeah, man. yeah. So so looking forward to it. So anyway, Robbie, um, I think it's probably a good good place to to call it a day there. So I mean, thanks very much for joining us once again. That was a oh, that thanks was, for having me as that, always. Yeah, really good chat, mate. Really good chat, and um, 
I hope everyone at home sort of enjoys this as well because we covered quite a few topics here, I think. So yeah, I mean, we got through the guts of stuff. <laughs> we did, didn't we? <laughs> so, um, so just before we um, before we wrap up, if you would just like to sort of point people towards your website and everything, Uh you can get me on robbybottom.com. If uh, if you're actually now that I think of it, if you're if you're anyone that lives around the Belfast area, I'm headlining the Empire Theatre there, um, in. August, I think it's August 9th, but that's all I have lined up. Okay, the, good, uh, good, excellent. That, that is if Northern Ireland is still part of the UK by the time. That's a good point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's we'll, we'll put the links to everything um, in, in the show notes anyway. All right, so. thanks, mate. Okay, thanks once again, Robbie. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, mate. listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance.